feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. This was one for the record books, and I am speaking about President Biden's interview with 60 Minutes because, first of all, he's not a good interviewee. I mean, he just isn't. Um, He seems to be all over the place. He flips and flops. He seems to always make a mistake. And anytime, even when the prompter's in front of him, he seems to have trouble and makes a lot of mistakes. And I think about when he went back, think about when he went to Poland, remember, and he was talking at that point regime change for Putin. And he was like one of the only people, world leaders, basically saying it. And then the White House had to go back and say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not calling for regime change. And then remember earlier on that trip, he was also talking to U.S. troops, the 82nd Airborne, the fighting force, and said, when you go into Ukraine, and everyone's like, whoa, 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 is he sending U.S. troops into Ukraine? And then earlier on that European trip, the same trip earlier on that trip, he was over basically saying that if Putin were to think about any sort of chemical weapons or something like that, we would respond in kind. And then the White House went crazy on that one, too. And they're like, oh, 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 no, no, no. We are not going to be using chemical weapons. You know, it was like, boy, we're like on the verge of World War Three multiple times just on that trip alone. And so it's no surprise that the White House tries to keep Joe Biden at bay because it's like you're just worried what kind of a train wreck we're going to run into. What is he going to say that could cause some international crises? Well, he continued with his record in the 60 Minutes interview. And to me, it is no surprise that he had to basically, it's been over 200 days. It's been over 210 days since he did an interview. And we know why. Because he just is all over the place. And every time he speaks, it's like clean up on aisle seven. And the White House has to do damage control and go, oh, no, no, no. That's not what the president meant. And it just makes us, I think, look so Poor, so stupid, I think, to the rest of the world that the president and the White House don't seem to be in sync. It, first of all, makes him look weak, too. First of all, it makes him look bumbly and fumbly because he clearly is not saying what he's supposed to be saying. And then when they correct him, it's like, oh, this man over there, uh, he's the president of the United States. And all I can think about when I see these corrections that happen at the White House That would never happen under President Trump or even any other president. I'm trying to think in modern times. Has there ever been a time where the White House had to say, no, what the president meant to say was this on a continuous basis? They are constantly. And it's because what he is saying is so contrary to the policy of the White House. And he's freelancing constantly. And It would be different if he said, listen, this is how I feel. Maybe others in the White House don't feel that way, but too bad I'm the president. No, no, no. He just says something, and then they're like, oh, that's crazy old Joe. You know, we got to fix that one so we don't go into World War III, basically. And he had a couple doozies this weekend that really are some for the record books. We're going to get to them in the show because it is stunning to me that we have a president who clearly 
is not in sync with the rest of the White House, that they feel that two things, they feel, first of all, comfortable that they can publicly just kind of admonish him and correct the president. And also, they just constantly are undermining him. He puts out some statement, if you don't trust him, then don't put him out for any interviews. And boy, even 60 Minutes, which I think usually has a fairly tough interview style. Remember when Leslie Stahl was interviewing President Trump, it was like you would have thought like uh, the devil incarnate was across from her. Remember, she was like, oh, no, no, no. What are you talking about? Any questions with the election or Hunter Biden? What are you talking about? You know, it was like, whatever, right? But yet, 60 minutes interviewing President Biden, I'm surprised they didn't ask him what kind of ice cream flavor that he had. Usually they're a little tougher and they gave him a lot of passes. But boy, he also still couldn't keep on script. Even with a basically softball interview, he still could not keep on script. And to me, this is a huge concern. And there was amazing, really stunning news that came out of it because maybe he felt like he's sitting there just talking to an old friend. Maybe that's the technique. Um, But there were a lot of questions. I didn't even really see any questions on the border. And we're going to talk about that later on in the hour because liberals are stepping up their attacks on the GOP over the border, over busing migrants to New York and to Martha's Vineyard and all these other places. And so he really got a free pass on that. It'd be like, uh, Mr. President, don't you think you should go down to the border? Don't you think it's a crisis? So, no, he got a free pass on that. He got a free pass, I think, also on crime. It should have been like, aren't you deeply, deeply concerned? Don't you think some of the defund police policies, some of the things that you have said, Mr. President, and others in your party have said and continue to say, don't you think they contribute to this climate of lawlessness and this revolving door for repeat offenders and this anti-police sentiment that sadly some people have in America, which is terrible. We have to respect our law enforcement. So what questions would you have asked if you were sitting across from the president? I would have asked a heck of a lot more and a lot tougher questions. But, boy, he couldn't even handle softballs. So this is really tough stuff because some of the things he said are downright concerning. We're going to talk in a second about Taiwan uh, because one of the things he said basically has China on alert. Isn't that nice? That he can't even handle what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, He had the disastrous withdrawal out of Afghanistan. And now he's basically telling China, get ready. We're going to send U.S. troops there. I mean, this was like, whoa. It's like scary when he speaks. So I don't blame the White House staff for being concerned every time he opens his mouth and isn't just reading verbatim from a cue card. Because it's getting dangerous. And we're going to have coming up on the show... In just about 20 minutes, the great Asia expert, Gordon Chang, who is going to talk with us what he thinks are the repercussions of old slip slidey Joe slip sliding verbally again and maybe tiptoeing us into World War Three almost. I mean, this is really scary. That's why you got to have a president who is coherent, who understands what's going on and who also is in sync. It just it makes us look like a bunch of fools to international leaders as we're heading into the U.N. this week that we have a president who keeps getting second guessed by his own White House staff. I mean, it makes me think like Corinne Jean-Pierre is running the White House and not President Biden. What are your thoughts, everybody? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. 
Meantime, this is one for the record books because he was asked about his mental acuity and his age in the 60 Minutes interview. I think it's a fair game question, and I think there should have been some follow-up, but here is at least a little bit of that exchange where he's asked about, don't you think maybe you're too old or maybe things are just degrading because of your age, that maybe maybe it's not really your time anymore. Take a listen. Mr. President, you are the oldest president ever. Pretty good shape, huh? Which leads to my next question. You are more aware of this than anyone. Some people ask whether you are fit for the job. And when you hear that, I wonder what you think. Watch me. I mean, honest to God, that's all I think. Watch me. If you think I don't have the energy level or the mental acuity, then, then you know, that's one thing. It's another thing of just watch and, and you know, keep my schedule. Do what I'm doing. I, I think that... Uh, you know, uh, I don't, when I sit down with our NATO allies and keep them together, I don't have them saying, wait a minute, how, how old are you? What do you, what do they say? You know, I mean, it's a matter of, you know, that old expression, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. All right. The proof in the pudding is in the eating and watch him. That's really scary. And yes, he's had a grueling schedule in the last, I'd say, 24 hours or 24, 36 hours because he did have to go over to London and there for the ceremony for the Queen, uh, the beautiful funeral service that I thought was amazing. I stayed up and watched the whole thing, by the way, for the record books. So I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because I was watching. I was like, this is a historic event. I wanted to see it. And the president was there along with many other world leaders. And he did come back, you know, to the White House already. But for the most part, he has had so many vacation days. And think about his schedule compared to President Trump and others. And other presidents. I mean, it is nothing compared to what we have seen other presidents in the past. So we are watching him. And Scott Pelley should have answered and said, you know, Mr. President, um, you seem to be losing your place a lot of times. You seem to be this. You seem to keep saying, you know what I would have asked? I would have said, you know what? Um, You keep saying, oh, I'm not supposed to answer that. Who's telling you you're not supposed to answer certain questions? And what do you think when they correct you after interviews like this? That would be an interesting who. What do you think? Are they undermining you or do you maybe don't have all your marbles and they got to watch your back? I mean, there's an interesting way to phrase some of those things. That would have been interesting. Can you imagine if he said, oh, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre tells me exactly what I need to say or Susan Rice says exactly what I need to say or Obama says exactly what I need to say. Otherwise, I get punished. You know, can you imagine who knows what he would have said if you had done a follow up question? So here he is getting a super, super easy question. But I am glad that they asked about his mental acuity. Does that say to you how obvious things are with him that even 60 Minutes, who really gave him a softball 60 Minutes interview, uh, that even they're asking? I mean, it's become so transparent that even they are asking. And things are so bad that now President Biden This, to me, is a stunning headline because President Biden is now conceding that there's a good chance he may not run in 2024 for president. I'm surprised he actually said this right before the midterms, because even if this is sort of transparent to most Americans over the age of two, you know, anybody could see him and go, oh, this guy, I don't think he can handle four more years. I don't know if the country can handle four more years of his policies. That's a whole other thing, too. But. As you're looking at him and as you're going through all of this, 
it's interesting because everyone's like, oh, no, he's running. He's running. He's running. Well, in the last two or three weeks, we have heard sort of cracks in that, you know, where we've had people say, well, I'm not really sure if he runs, I'll be with him. Or if he does this, I'll be with him. Or if he, well, for the first time, the president himself basically conceded it's not a certainty that he's going to run. And this is stunning heading into the midterms that you have a sitting president who is saying, I may not be on the ballot in 2024. Take a listen to what he said in the 60 Minutes interview. And what do you make of this? Sir, are you committed to running again? Look, if I were to say to you, I'm running again, all of a sudden, a whole range of things come into play that I have uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. In terms of election laws. In terms of election laws. And it's much too early to make that kind of decision. I'm a great respecter of fate. And so what I'm doing is I'm doing my job. I'm going to do that job. And within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here, going into next year, make a judgment of what to do. You say that it's much too early to make that decision. I take it the decision has not been made in your own head. Look, my intentions, I said to begin with, is that I would run again. But it's just an intention. But is it a firm decision that I've run again? That remains to be seen. That remains to be seen. That is a stunning comment for a president right before the midterms because people are going, whoa, well, what's going on? He doesn't really seem, you know, uh, he doesn't seem as a candidate who would say that. First off, usually I've never heard a president never say that. I mean, that is like, you know, basically a concession that maybe I haven't done such a good job that maybe I'm not going to be on the ballot or maybe I can't handle it or whatever the case is. That is basically a concession. On the other hand, now the folks within the Democratic Party are smelling blood and many of them are getting excited thinking, good, if Joe doesn't run, then who? And I want to play a comment actually now from Gavin Newsom. And that's because there is a report tonight that California's Governor Gavin Newsom will run for president if Joe doesn't. Isn't that stunning? According to sources, telling a number of publications, The Wrap and a couple others, saying that if Biden does not run, decides not to run, and is basically opening the field, can you imagine who's going to be a part of it? I bet you Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, the borders are. And also Gavin Newsom. That is according to reports. And Gavin Newsom's already, you could tell, heating it up. Because here is Gavin Newsom going after, basically, Governors DeSantis and Abbott on transferring migrants. Those migrants are used as pawns to humiliate and dehumanize. What uh, Ron DeSantis is doing is a disgrace. It's almost monstrous. And I say that not lightly. I say that quite thoughtfully. He's got kids. I have kids. You saw those young girls with backpacks, no older than his children, my children, being used as political pawns. Wow. You know what's so funny? As soon as I saw that he was going after Ron DeSantis and others, I was like, he's gearing up. I've interviewed Gavin Newsom, met him a number of times. It definitely looks like he is poised to run for president and that the party's actually kind of gearing him up. So let's look at his what? Crime policies? What about all the, like, you know, syringes that are all over, all the homeless encampments all over San Francisco? 
There's a lot that they can come after him on, but he's got more energy than Joe. I'll at least give him that. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Norm real quick on line seven. Norm, your thoughts. Yeah, hi, Rita. Um, I, I think it's not so much the problems of that, so the, that Biden's not able to answer the questions. I think the problem is with people like Scott Pelley. I mean, uh, why didn't why doesn't he follow up? Why doesn't he give more probing questions? I mean, if this was uh, Walter Cronkite in the old days or uh, any of the old uh, newscasters, I uh, journalists uh, that I remember growing up, uh, they would have asked follow up questions. What's happened to the media? Why? uh, Why are they so weak? And that's my thoughts on that. You know what? I 1000 percent agree. Because he had a responsibility to answer, you know, to ask the questions and then force Biden to really answer tough questions. And the fact, did you hear that I said, Norm, I didn't hear him really ask anything on border. I didn't really hear him ask anything on crime. And there's a way to still be respectful of the office, which I think any president deserves for 1000 percent, whether you agree with their policies or not. It's Mr. President. You know, what do you think, Mr. President? Don't you think that the border's a leaky sieve? You got X million coming across the border and you want us to believe that it's not open? You know, migrants are even kind of laughing and saying, yes, it's wide open um, and, and see what his answer is. And I would have even pressed him even on the running. I would have said, so you're not sure. You know, do you think who do you think would make a better president than you? Do you is that a concession? You're not doing a good job. I mean, there's a lot of questions right there. And he, I think he probably would have answered them. <laughs> he probably would go, yeah, uh, maybe I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> you know, who knows what? He, and then the White House would go, no, no. But, you know, Norm, you know, at that, with the kind of mindset he has, he seems to sometimes have no filter. So sometimes he is, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know if he's telling the truth or you don't know if he's saying the truth, but he's not supposed to say it. Um, But either way, you're right. The press has a big responsibility. Great point, Norm. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. 800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. And we are talking about what I think was a disastrous interview for President Biden. What do you think when you hear the fact that he was all over the place? Um, And then at one point, uh, and I think this was genuine, he said, you know, it's basically not a guarantee that I'm going to run again in 2024. Uh, That it, quote, remains to be seen. What do you think? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lou. Uh, Line 7. Lou, your thoughts? Hi, Rita. Um, It's going to be tough to to kind of condense it because there's so much going in in, in my mind. But, you know, the the Fed commentary, you know, is that the questions that that you ask about Pelly and that your last caller uh, uh, correctly asked, you know, they're, they're so rhetorical in nature, and, and I think it speaks to to the to the to the, the ultra liberal program that's just it, it, you know infested and, and just implanted itself, you know, the ideology into our culture, and and that they've been so successful that we can ask these questions and and we know the answers, and yet 
you know, nobody. It, it seems like not enough people are are taken aback and are appalled by the very things that you know that you and, and the last caller, you know, bring up. And, no, and so, you know, Lou, you know, you bring up a great point because there was a new approval number on the economy, and he had it was a fifty nine percent disapproval on the economy, which isn't good. But I kept thinking, okay, so who's the other 41% that think it's good? Like you just said, it's like, is there anybody out there who thinks things are better now than they were two years ago? This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, a powerful story coming from Syracuse, New York. After racing through traffic to make an arrest, one Syracuse cop prevented a tragedy from taking place. It's an amazing story. As New York State police officers were involved in a traffic pursuit when they heard a strange commotion, they had just apprehended their target in the chase and were getting ready to leave the scene when they suddenly heard the sounds of distress from a young woman and her two-month-old baby nearby. Initially confused as to what was going on, the police quickly realized that the woman's baby was in critical condition and had stopped breathing. So Syracuse police officer A.J. Phillips found himself in the right place at the right time, and he sprang into action. We just heard a loud commotion coming from the area suddenly, and I looked over, and we went over there to see what was going on, he said. I saw a woman frantic with a two-month-old baby in her hands, and the baby was lifeless. Well, first, by the way, his background, he had been a medic in the military, so he was quick to perform first aid. At first, he thought that the baby was choking, so he started performing back blows on the baby. Once he realized that those were not working, he switched gears and began performing breaths on her. The baby began to stir, showing signs of life, and just in time, the medical help soon arrived to take over. By the way, the baby's name is Legacy. And the baby survived and is said to be doing okay, thanks to the great work of this police officer, A.J. Phillips, from Syracuse, New York. And that's why it is always so important that we appreciate our law enforcement and back the men and women in blue. Well, uh, things really got confusing this weekend as we're talking about the 60 Minutes interview with President Biden. Boy, was he all over the place. Not only did he say it remains to be seen if I'm going to run again, he also like was like, what problem with inflation? Made it sound like there's no issue there. Uh, but boy, he stepped his foot and really went a lot further than American policy has gone in terms of China and Taiwan. China-Taiwan policy, from a U.S. perspective, has basically always been sort of ambiguous as to whether we would ever have troops in there, whether we would ever send any U.S. forces in there. 
And yet, not according to Biden, this is what he said in the 60 Minutes interview. Take a listen. We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's one China policy and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging their being independent. We're not. Let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So Scott Pelley, even though I think he gave him a free pass on a lot of things, he did at least ask a follow up here. Take a listen. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. Wow. So I love that even, like, it hadn't even gone to air yet. And they're already like, no, 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 no. So you know that they went into panic mode as soon as President Biden said it. Not only did he just say it once, as you heard right there, he said it twice. So it was, again, cleanup in the White House. Well, joining us now, because this is really scary stuff. Some people are saying, you could see all over social media, Biden is sending us into World War III with China. That was the reaction to those comments that you just heard now. Well, who better to talk about China policy and reaction to how President Biden handled this or didn't handle it? Uh, Joining us now is the great Asia expert, Gordon Chang. His Twitter feed, by the way, everybody, and you got to follow it. He has the best Twitter feed with updates constantly. Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rita. You know, what's your reaction when you heard President Biden say this and the White House also cleaning it up right away, Gordon. Well, there are so many different issues here. Um, First of all, in our system, the president makes foreign policy. And it's clear how President Biden feels about this, because for four times, starting in August of last year, once to George Stephanopoulos of ABC News, once to Anderson Cooper of CNN, once to a reporter in Tokyo in May, and now to um, CBS News, President Biden has made it clear the United States will defend Taiwan. Now, that's four times. Four times the White House, the State Department, Defense Department has contradicted the president. So the question is, has there been a constitutional coup? Whatever you think about what Biden said, it is clear that uh, his subordinates have directly contradicted him. And so the question is, who's making decisions in the White House, in the administration, and is the president making decisions? You know, that's a great question. Did you hear what I um, had said earlier, Gordon? I made the same similar comment that um, if I had been Scott Pelley, and I think I'm glad he at least repeated the question in this case. But in the others, I think he gave him a free pass in a lot of areas. And he didn't ask about a lot of things that I would have asked, too, as well, about border and crime and a million other things. Um, But even on this one, to your point, what I would have said is, you know, Mr. President, a number of times you make comments and then the White House, you know, says, oh, that's not what he meant. Or I'm not supposed to say something. You know, when he's in these press conferences, Gordon, sometimes he's there. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for speaking, I would say, Mr. President, I, I just want to ask you while we're here, 
who tells you that you shouldn't say that? Because it'd be interesting to see who he's who's kind of the real force in the White House, because it doesn't sound like it's President Biden. Yes, it, it doesn't sound like it's President Biden. And I believe that the president has an obligation now to talk to the American people about what our Taiwan policy is, because this is consequential. Now, I happen to think Biden's instincts are right and that the White House uh, secretary, the secretary of defense, the State Department spokesperson, um, I think that those guys are wrong. But however one feels about this, we need to know, is the president in charge? Is he acting as commander in chief or is somebody else? The American people, Rita, have a right to know. Yeah, 1000 percent. And that's why I think it would have been interesting, Gordon, had they asked that question, because who knows? Maybe he would say, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre told me I can't say this, or Susan Rice said I can't say this. Like, who is really pulling the strings? And I also, I want to ask your thoughts, Gordon, because how does, say, China or how does others in the world, looking at this, seeing that we have a president, to your point, that is being undermined, that there seems like there's somebody else running the show and it's not him who's undermining him left and right. Um, and how does that get perceived in terms of foreign policy? Because if I'm looking at it, I'm a world leader. And of course, this week is a huge week with the UN. There's tons of world leaders looking at it. You know, it just makes him look like he's unimportant, like he's just some puppet sitting there. And all I have to think of, it does not you know, uh, you know, uh, emit strength to China or anybody. And if, if his statement was intended to emit strength, as you agree, um, it undermines it that two seconds later you got the White House undermining him saying, no, 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 that's not what he meant. I mean, it hurts any good, uh, good intention there may have been there. Yeah, at least on the surface, um, the Chinese foreign ministry is taking Biden at his word because they did issue what they called a stern um, representations to the United States. So apparently they are um, looking at what Biden's saying as American foreign policy. But I believe, Rita, uh, just applying common sense, nothing else, no special knowledge about China or anything else, anybody can see that Beijing perceives the White House to be in disarray. Because as the president speaks, he's being contradicted by subordinates. Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, would never permit that to occur. And I think that they view this in the context of the calamitous withdrawal from Afghanistan and the failure to deter Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And they probably believe that the United States is not capable of implementing any foreign policy opposing China. That's That's a huge issue. That's a huge problem, Gordon. And you know that all too well. Right. And what we're talking about is going to war with China. Um, And um, this could really mean uh, global war because we've already got a war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine appears to be spreading to Armenia and Azerbaijan, could spread to Greece and Turkey. Um, And there is um, there's peril out there in that world. And so we have to be concerned that China will move on one of its neighbors. Now, I believe that if the Chinese took President Biden at his word and believed that that was the policy of the United States, I believe that there would be peace in the Taiwan Strait, because I don't think the Chinese would take on the U.S. Question is, do they take Biden at his word? And the lives of hundreds of thousands, billions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, and that's no exaggeration, because we're talking about the possibility of nuclear conflict. 
the lives of people are on the line on this. Yeah, thousand percent. And that's why it is so important to have at least a coherent strategy, because when the stakes are so high, um, you have to make sure that there's clarity. And I just think I think not only do we look stupid, it looks like we're undermining our own president. It makes him look ineffective more than he already is, I think, on many levels. And I also think this mixed messaging is a very dangerous place to be. And and I thought about Gordon when I first heard it. I thought it reminded me of, uh, you know, when he was there on the border uh, in Jezhev, Poland, right there on the southern border of Poland, you know. And my first thought was was that, uh, you know, uh, when he said to the 82nd Airborne, well, you'll soon know what it's like when you go into Ukraine. You know, and everybody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is he sending U.S. troops into Ukraine? And then they had to correct it. You know, uh, it's like it, it's a dangerous time to not have clarity, right? It's a dangerous time not to have clarity, and it's a dangerous time to have incoherence and disarray. And, you know, a lot of a lot of American foreign policy analysts don't like clarity. They want ambiguity, and they, they make arguments for it. But you cannot make an argument for incoherence and disarray. And what we have right now is that, unfortunately. What did you make also, Gordon, and I'm curious from your perspective as such a a great foreign policy and domestic policy analyst, um, watching President Biden say that it remains to be seen uh, whether I'm going to run again. And in fact, let me play it for you, Gordon. Um, This is um, this is cut 28. And I want to get your reaction of how this might also affect his leverage or lack of leverage overseas. Um, Take a listen first. Sir, are you committed to running again? Look. If I were to say to you, I'm running again, all of a sudden, a whole range of things come into play that I have uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. In terms of election laws. In terms of election laws. And it's much too early to make that kind of decision. I'm a great respecter of fate. And so what I'm doing is I'm doing my job. I'm going to do that job. And within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here, going into next year, make a judgment of what to do. You say that it's much too early to make that decision. I take it the decision has not been made in your own head. Look, my intention, as I said to begin with, is that I would run again, but it's just an intention. But is it a firm decision that I've run again? That remains to be seen. Wow. So, Gordon, think about how that affects from a foreign policy perspective, because if people are looking going, well, he may not run again. Um, he's I mean, I, I, it is so extraordinary to hear a president say that because they always say, oh, yeah, for sure. I am for sure. I am um, when they're sitting in, you know, in the White House, even if uh, their intention maybe is something different. They always say it, especially leading into the midterms. I just think that also undermines White House and U.S. policy, because if I'm a foreign leader, I'm like, well, he's may not be here long. You know, why should I really care what he has to say? He himself is saying it remains to be seen whether I'm going to stick around. Yes. And and some people say, uh, and these are generally um, severe critics of President Biden. um, They say, well, you know, the Chinese hear this and they believe that uh, because Biden is incapable, that they must move against Taiwan or India or Japan or the Philippines or wherever, that they must move while Biden is still president. So um, they they sort of feel that, well, if he's not going to be president in in, um, two more years, then they've only got a window of opportunity to move now. And it makes them move, uh, accelerate their time frame. Now, 
I'm not sure that the Chinese think that way, but uh, it's very possible that they might. Um, they might not want to face a more resolute president, whether Democrat or Republican. So um, that actually ups the stakes at this time. And I, and I believe just in general, forgetting what Biden says or doesn't say, I believe that the next three or four years um, are going to be crucial. If we can get past these three or four years, we should be okay for a number of reasons. But right now, I'm not uh, sure how this is going to work out. And I think that we could be facing the worst outcomes very soon. And Biden's statement about his intentions to run can actually make things worse. That's a great point because it could speed things up because people are like, okay, well, if they see uh, something where they consider it a, quote, softer American president with policies or somebody with less clarity or whatever the case is, uh, they know now they have a narrow window to act. And you're right, it may expedite things in a, in a dangerous way. Um, really fascinating. Um, Gordon, thank you. It's always so awesome to get your perspective. And everybody, make sure you check out his Twitter feed, Gordon G. Chang. Um, he always has such great, important and very relevant information. Gordon, thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Rita, and stay safe. Thank you. You too, my friend. Thank you so much. Everybody, let's go to your calls. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bayina, line four. Bayina, your thoughts. Yes, thanks for taking my call, Rita. It's actually Bayina Patrice. Uh, Oh, by the way, that's a beautiful name, Bayina Patrice. Beautiful. Yeah, Patrice Buchanan. However, Rita, um, that gentleman you just spoke with uh, is, um, w- uh, besides being with Twitter, uh, is he a journalist? Um, he is an Asia expert. He's been uh, like one of the foremost authorities on Asia for decades and uh-huh, very well uh-huh. known. Why? Okay. Well, I, I can speak a little Arabic and a little Chinese, Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean. What's Japanese. your point, Bayina? What's your point? What? Yeah, yeah. My point is essentially, you had said that um, you you said that the President Biden, you know, in in the beginning of your show today, and thank goodness for your show, you said that he was off script, and I was wondering what you meant by he was off script. Yeah, what because I script- what? Go ahead. Wait, go. I'll actually I'll answer it for you, and then I'll, I'll let you follow up. Uh, what I mean is, uh-huh. he is clearly not on the same page as the White House, and that's a dangerous place to be for a lot of reasons. I mean, one reason. And and Gordon brought up, I thought, a great point because it's like who was running the White House because right even before it got to air, you even heard that part of the interview um, within the 60 Minutes piece. They're already saying, well, what Biden just said is not U.S. policy and not really correct. Um, and then he repeats it again. Um, so my point is it just it looks bad. Uh-huh. It looks bad. It's either a undermining him um, or B. Um, you know, you have to have you certainly have to have the White House on the same page. I don't I don't yeah. think it looks good for any American president, regardless of whatever he's saying or not saying. You can't suddenly have a president going out there and then suddenly the White House says, well, no, that's not really what he meant or that's not correct. Questioning mm-hmm. the president. I mean, that 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 honestly, under other presidents, I can tell mm-hmm. you, I know for a fact, but, you know, they'd go back and go, who sent out that release undermining me? You're you're right. you're fired. I mean, that's honestly, a, that's what a president has to do. That's yeah, what a president has to do. Absolutely. Uh, so so that's why I say off script. I mean, either he's off script or the White House is off script, but they're off sync. You know, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I think President Biden will win again uh, if he runs. Uh, and you do? Also, why? You do? Why? Well, essentially, because of the experience that he has, because of his strength of being able to actually be a commander. And for in, and also, we had a president that was called, that was known as Honest Abe. And I'm referring to uh, a president who happened to have been a Republican. However, Rita, I think President Biden caters to the voters who are both Democrats and Republican. So with that strength of catering and uh, appealing to all Americans uh, and even worldwide, I think President Biden will win again. But you have a great show, Rita, and thank you. You got it. Well, that's interesting. By the way, I disagree, obviously, on a lot of things Bayina said, but I love hearing from everybody here on the show. Um, and that's what makes America great. And it's interesting. You know, I mean, I just said there's a poll that came out recently and it said that 59 percent are disappointed with his handling of the economy. But there's 41 percent who say he's doing a pretty good job, including Bayina, who just called. Um, but first off, I would be stunned. I actually would be shocked if he runs again, Bayina. I, I don't think he's, even by his own admission, the fact that he's already suggesting that he may not run, I think to me, is almost as sure that he probably is not. Um, and two, um, as someone, I met Biden many times. I started meeting him the first time in the mid-1990s. This is not even the best Joe Biden. I mean, he seems tired. He seems lethargic. Um, I just think the world is such a dangerous place, and I think we need somebody who is tougher, um, you know, and I think it might have even prevented Putin from going in. I think he made mistakes with Afghanistan. I look at crime. I look at border. I look at inflation. There's a lot of issues right now. I don't think he's a perfect candidate, and I don't think Republicans think he's a great candidate either. But uh, but anyway, we're going to take your calls, everybody, after the break. one 800 848 The Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about Joe Biden and the White House. Both of them on two different pages, and they constantly are correcting this president. And that is bad, not only just for the president, it's bad for America. And I want to know who's running the White House. That's what Gordon Chang wants to know, and I don't blame him for saying that. Who is running the White House? Because clearly someone keeps correcting the president, and he doesn't say to them, don't you ever do that again. I mean, it just looks terrible. 1-800-848-9222. one 848 Let's go to Steve. Line four. Steve, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Great show. Thank uh, you. Pre- what do you think, pre- Steve? I think your previous caller, Baina Patrice, is delusional. I mean, she doesn't see but, all of Baina Patrice Buchanan, remember, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, you don't see all the destructive policies that Biden has implemented that Withdrawal from Afghanistan, leaving $85 billion worth of brand new military equipment over there. The border is an open sieve, 106,000 fentanyl deaths last year. Uh, you know, he's left a mess of basically everything. He killed all our domestic oil production and independence, and that's the main cause of inflation. Absolutely. And, you know, Steve, you know, crime, too. You think about how crime has been skyrocketing and the demoralization sadly, of our law enforcement. I mean, there's a lot of things that I agree with you are far from perfect. And 
I actually think Biden's worse by far than I expected. I think he's worse than many people expected. And that includes Democrats, guys. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, I say bravo to the GOP governors that have been sending migrants across the country because guess what? This is what they're dealing with every single day on the border. It is a disaster on our southern border. Anybody who has been there can see it. And if Joe Biden went and if Kamala Harris spent more than five seconds, they would see what a major, huge issue it is. And yet... We see now Democratic mayors from across the country and other liberal groups coming out and basically saying that they are considering looking to get maybe legal charges filed against Governor DeSantis and also Greg Abbott for busing migrants to their communities. I couldn't believe there are now attorneys for the migrants who were sent, remember, to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. And guess what? That community only wanted to put up with them for like about a day and a half. And then they brought them to a base in Cape Cod and said, oh, God, we're being overrun. They had 50 of them and they were complaining about being overrun in Texas. And if you look at just like on a typical day, several thousand are crossing every single day in Texas. And yet these liberal communities are going crazy when 50 come or 100 come or even 1,000 come, which again is nothing compared to the fact that millions have crossed the border since President Joe Biden has taken office. And now Eric Adams is looking at maybe putting them on cruise ships because he says that the shelters are being overrun. And he also says that he is also considering looking into pushing for charges against the Texas governor for moving more into New York because several came yesterday, several buses. I think it was about nine yesterday and then four or five came today. So more and more are coming to New York. And now these communities are saying, oh, we can't handle it. We can't handle it. Take a listen to New York City Mayor Eric Adams and what he thinks maybe should be done as a result of GOP governors moving these migrants to New York. Just a drop in the bucket compared to what they're getting in Texas. We do have to make sure New Yorkers that are here uh, receive the resources and services that they uh, are required to receive. We are obligated both morally and legally to do, and we are doing that. But we have this heavy influx, and that's why our legal team is looking at what legal challenges we could do with Texas, as well as how do we properly ensure everyone receives the necessary services they deserve. And then you got, of course, Gavin Newsom, who's talking about kidnapping and human trafficking and all that. And here's a little bit more of Eric Adams talking with CBS and basically saying, yeah, we're looking at a whole bunch of choices here. 
Well, you did say that you'd like to see the best legal minds look at ways to go after these, what you called, rogue governors. Is there a way to stop this? Oh, we're looking at that. We believe there's some options we have uh, because when you involuntarily place someone on a bus, uh, we believe that actually skates the law. And so our legal team is looking at this, and all of us should come together. And this is what we'll, this is a all-hands-on-deck moment. We should not be spending our energy trying to play I got you. We should be spending our energy of saying I got you as a city. And so many people have stepped up. Catholic charities, other volunteers. There's a large number of people that realize this is a crisis and we can coordinate our way through this crisis. So what about going after the border itself, the voluminously porous border that we have on our southern border and saying, hey, wait a minute, President Biden, we all need to do something now. No, no, no. They're going after Abbott and DeSantis. And take a listen to this guy. This is Ellie Mistel, who is an analyst on MSNBC. And he explains why maybe kidnapping charges would be appropriate for the governor of Florida for moving them on buses. We have reports that they were lied to, that they were tricked, that they were induced with false promises um, to get on planes and then ship someplace where they weren't told where they were going. That, to me, is a violation of the federal kidnapping statutes. The legal term of art is inveigling. I think that in yeah. this case, Ron DeSantis told these people, including children, that we take them to one place, Boston, which would have services where they would get expedited work yeah. pieces, where they would be have housing, and then sent them to a different place. That is kidnapping. Wow. That is kidnapping. Now, remember, these are people who've come to the country illegally, and now they've come into some of these liberal communities, and they're going crazy saying, how dare they ship them to our community? They had no problem when often thousands of them are crossing every single day into Texas. That's no problem for them. And in fact, in El Paso, they had close to like two to 3,000 in one day. One day. And yet... 50 come to Martha's Vineyard and people go crazy and they move them out already, say that they can't handle it. I mean, think of the utter double standard and the utter hypocrisy. I feel bad for these people because, yeah, they're trying to come to America because it's a better life. But they should also do it legally. And these liberal individuals, you know, whether they're mayors or groups, it is such a bunch of hogwash that they are not looking at the Biden administration. What about all the midnight flights that went into Westchester and New York, went into Birmingham, Alabama, went into Nashville, uh, went into Florida? What about all these secret flights that at first the White House denied ever doing? Turns out there were like 900 of them and there were thousands upon thousands, 51,000 plus were shipped in these middle-of-the-night flights. They finally admitted, yeah, they were shipping them. And they said, oh, yeah, just because it's off hours, no big deal. That's not really so late. Oh, yeah, like 2, 3 in the morning. You know, and then we had the video, remember, that we played, the audio where you could hear them saying, don't really tell anybody. You know, we're just trying to sneak them in, basically. Remember Rob Astorino showing that from Westchester, New York? That blew the lid off of it. I mean, to me, this is such a bunch of hogwash and double standard. And I, it wouldn't bother me if they said... Hey, listen, you know, um, I feel bad for Texas. I feel this. I feel that. Um, maybe this is a wake-up call to us, and we should work together and meet with the White House and figure out X. Oh, no. All they're doing is going now after the Texas governor and after the Florida governor, and they are upping up 
the rhetoric. It is really incredible. Meantime, as we are talking about President Biden, I want to play a little bit more of this interview at 60 Minutes because this is stunning. Here he is, and he's asked about the inflation. And, of course, we all see the numbers. The numbers came out last week. Remember, he was celebrating the same day that, like, some of the worst numbers in four decades came out. But, no, our president is celebrating and thinking, it's okay, it's not that bad. It's like, it's not that bad just because you're paying so much more for mortgages and they're going to go up again probably on Wednesday with the inflation rates going to go up. And just because it's costing you so much when you're going to the grocery store and everywhere else, don't worry about it. This, to me, just sounded so tone deaf. Take a listen. Here is President Biden a little bit more with 60 Minutes when he asked about the economy and inflation. Mr. President, as you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3 percent. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not. You, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2 percent. It's been it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that, but guess what? We are. We're in a position where, for the last several months, it hasn't spiked. It has just barely. It's been basically even. So because it is staying basically the same, it is getting worse, but it's basically, in his mind, staying the same. No big deal. Like, in other words, things are crummy and they're staying crummy. Don't worry about it. I mean, to me, it just sounded so out of touch and so removed from the average American that to me, I think this is an enormous concern. You know, as he's sitting here trying to make the case that he deserves potentially a second term, even though he's saying he's not sure if he's going to remain, he's not even sure if the economy is bad. Just ask anybody walking down the street, are you better today than you were six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, especially? I don't think you'll really find anybody who can say, yeah, overall, the economy is doing really great. And then here is the other comment that I think also gets him in a lot of other trouble, in addition to the Taiwan and all the other stuff we talked about. In the interview with 60 Minutes, Biden made the case um, that the pandemic's over, not to worry. And the reason that that's a problem, we all know the pandemic seems to be over, you guys, and that hopefully it doesn't come back any any issues whatsoever or with COVID and the heading to colder weather. But they made the case that they needed to erase student loan debt. In other words, trying to buy votes, but they made the case that they needed to erase student loan debt because of the extraordinary situation with the pandemic, that that was the justification because it's an emergency provision, that because things are such dire emergencies, that's why we had to do it. So now suddenly the White House says, yeah, that's why we had to look at erasing the student loan debt. That was just like three, four days ago. So the president has asked, are we in a pandemic? And take a listen to what he said in the interview. Take a listen. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it. So the pandemic's over. Don't worry about it. 
And the White House was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 Mr. President, you're not supposed to say that because we're telling America that the pandemic still technically exists. And that's why we're using that as a reason to be able to erase student loan debt. So you ruined it on that one for us. God, they can't get their message straight. This is a disaster of an interview, and I think will go down as one of the worst for an American president on so many levels. And the White House and the president clearly are not in sync. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Sharon, line four. Sharon, your thoughts. Hi. Um, yeah, I heard what you said about um, the president deserving respect, you know, in all senses and during an interview. However, do you really think that this president deserves respect when he's not even really our president, when he stole the election from Trump, when he left our soldiers over in Afghanistan to be killed, when he left $84 billion, you know, of our equipment over there, when he does everything he can against the American people, not for the American people? He doesn't respect us, so why would he deserve respect? Well, and I respect the office. I always respect the office, Sharon, just because I feel like as an American, we should always respect our president. But I also agree with you on the sense that he's made some very poor moves. Um, And when you brought up Afghanistan, for example, that to me was a disaster. And I think that we will feel the repercussions of that for many, many decades Uh, whether it's from, you know, the perception in the world that we left behind people, Americans and allies, and also left billions of dollars of equipment that basically is fueling the Taliban right now, Um, you know, propaganding, you know, uh, terrorism and everything else around the world. So I that's that's where I come from, Sharon. Obviously, you know, I I do think. um, Did you hear the part, by the way, where he said, that uh, it remains to be seen if I'm going to run again, basically, for president. What did, what did you make of that, Sharon? I'm curious how you read that. Um, how did I read that? Uh, he just, well, he has to hear what his handlers say. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. Sharon, I, I love you. That is a great answer. Sharon, you're right. He's got to check in with Corinne Jean-Pierre first. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Stan. Line seven. Stan, your thoughts. You'd, you'd call me after this brain dead woman called. Wait okay. a minute, Stan. Who are you talking? Nah, to? Who's nah, brain dead? Nah, nah, who's brain nah, dead? Nah, not you. The woman that called. Oh, she didn't sound brain dead. She sounded oh, like yeah. a, a thoughtful, patriotic American. Electri- the first thing out of her mouth. Electri- Once she says that, she's brain dead. But that's okay. Uh, first of all, let me tell you. I think the president. By the way, you know, Hillary. Hey, no, hang on, Stan. Hold on really a second. Let me talk. I, I will. Uh, no, no, no. I just got to defend her because she just I called and she's let not. Let her defend herself. Uh, hang let on. Let her defend herself. Hang on a second. No, no, no. Let me just say one thing. Hillary Clinton has questioned legitimacy of elections. You got uh, Stacey Abrams, who still thinks she's governor of, of uh, you know, Georgia. Uh, who claims that the election was stolen from her. It's okay for them to say it, but the last caller can't say it, Stan? Come on. To the courts. Hillary Kitten didn't lie and lie and lie like Donald Trump did, okay? And said it was all a fraud. And this, So please, stop doing that. She, called him, she called him an illegitimate. No, she him, yes, she, she did. She didn't anything. She ended oh, it, and that she, was it. No, Let's she didn't end it. She continues. Oh, Stan, hold on one second. She continues. To say that. And many Democrats, not just her, but continue to basically question the election. And by the way, speaking of which, you just opened up a huge can of worms. You go back to the January 6th committee. 
the January 6th committee, a number of people on that committee, Benny Thompson, Jamie Raskin, they questioned they didn't vote for the electors because they didn't think those electors should be certified in 2016. But then when Trump tries to do it, God forbid. So that is such a double hypocrisy. Go ahead, Stan. Joe Biden. Let's talk about Joe Biden. Yeah, sure, because you don't want to answer that one. But go ahead. I don't have to. I don't have to talk about that fraud. But here's the point. I now listen, I believe the president will not run. Now, listen, coming from me, right? I don't think he will run if the houses, both situations go republic, because then there'll be nothing for him to, to do more legislation. And then I don't think he'll run. And so but if the houses are both maintained, the Senate and the House, there's more legislation to do. He can add that to the thing and then he can say in two years, hopefully inflation will be down to a specific amount. Then he can say, I, I did this and I'll run. So I think he's definitely waiting to see what uh, the midterms will be and so forth. That's and, it. And by the way, that's an interesting point, Stan, that 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 it could be he's waiting to see where the houses go. And it would certainly make his job a lot easier if they do stay in you know Democratic hands. He can just hang out in the basement, you know, right. like he did during the campaign. Thing. OK, did you see your friend's uh, beautiful cam- uh, uh, weekend uh, campaign, Donald Trump? Did you see them all salute him? Did you see that? What did that remind you of, Rita? Did go back about fifty years? See that salute they gave him? Did that remind you of anybody who they saluted like that? Say in Nuremberg, Deutschland. Oh, Stan, Stan, Stan! You, you, you guys, you guys need to come up. I hate, by the way, I hate, and I hate this whether it's Democrat, Republican, whoever says this. I hate any comparisons to Hitler, Heil Hitler, any of that. Um, I hate when they use that word or when people throw the Hitler word or the racist word. To me, that is just such a lowball, cheap shot. And, you know, that's outrageous. By the way, your guy, you wish that your guy could get like, you know, the people that are standing in line in the bathroom for a Trump event. You know, he can't even get out that kind of a Rita, group. Look you know? at the event, Rita. Look at that. You'll see them. They're standing there saluting him. Like, you know who. I didn't even mention who. <laughs> yeah, but, but we know what you're but talking you know about, what I'm talking. Stan. They we know what you're like talking about. Adolf Hitler. It's, it was it, unbelievable. Stan, that, that to me is such an outrageous comparison. And I think I, I hate when when the that is invoked. You know that to me. And also the racist thing. I just think it is so over the top. And, of course, Democrats are going to try to interpret anything. Remember, there was like some hand sign one time. They're like, oh, that's a uh, secret code of a blank blank. And people are like, what is that? You know, I mean, there's there is so much of the jumping to conclusions. But you do that well, Stan. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. And we will also talk about Biden and the border. And now Democrats, friends of Stan, saying, Oh, let's go after the GOP governors for kidnapping. How crazy is that? The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And coming up after the break, we have one of my favorite segments that we always do, support our heroes honoring our great military and their families In the meantime, guess what? Of course, they're calling for the National Guard to try to help some of these liberal cities, even though they don't think we need any on the border. But they need them in their cities now that they have, in some cases, 50, 100, a few thousand. Yeah, guess what? It's a lot. 
but that's a drop in the bucket compared to what Texas is getting every day in terms of migrants crossing their borders. And again, the numbers are staggering that we've seen uh, over four million so far, basically crossing the border, essentially, since President Biden has taken office. That is a stunning number. And that number is going to get a lot higher even in the coming months, especially now that he signaled that he might not be there in 2024. They're going to be like, let's hurry up. Let's hurry up. We may only have two, uh, you know, two years plus to go there real quick. Let's go to Dom. Dom line four. Go ahead. Yeah. Rita, you know, Stan is my favorite listener on this show. Um, I think he needs his own show to find out exactly how popular he is when he listens to himself talk. <laughs> and the, the, the and I, I by the make, way, I have the feeling he does listen to himself over and over again. But go ahead, Dom. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love you for allowing him to vent on the air. That's you know that demonstrates the fantastic human being that you are for vigorously embracing the First Amendment. Thank you very much, Dom. And I love hearing from everybody. That's because it's America. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment where we honor our great military and also their families, a beautiful story coming from Ohio where a veteran is being recognized for his charitable work for children. Wood County, Ohio native Steve Arnold is going to be inducted into the Ohio Veterans Hall of Fame. Arnold is a Vietnam veteran, but the honor isn't solely based on military service. The Hall of Fame also takes into consideration the volunteer work that a veteran does on behalf of their community. Now, for Steve Arnold, that work includes mentoring kids through the local 4-H club, which he has been doing for decades. He takes the honor in stride. He says, quote, it's nice to be honored for over 40 years of volunteer service. Wow, that's impressive. Arnold ties his commitment to service directly to what he learned in the military. He said, one of the things that the military taught me was leadership, initiative, and things like that. That's what I try to pass on every day. Now, Arnold was one of just 20 veterans recognized this year across the entire state of Ohio with this incredible award. Bravo to him. And, of course, all the great members, men and women in the military and their families, who certainly have given incredible service to our country. And, you know, Vietnam veterans, I love you all. And I just want to say welcome home. And I want to also let you guys all know that I am proudly supporting the Tunnels to Towers 5K Walk Run New York City again this year. And, of course, we just passed the 9-11 anniversary recently, but the big walk run that everybody all over the country uh, follows and sees this, it's on Sunday, September 25th, and I need your help. So help us remember those lives lost, sadly, on 9-11 as we retrace FDNY firefighter Stephen Siller's final heroic footsteps, and let's do it together. And it's very easy to support my team this year in the Tunnels to Towers 5K Walk Run. All you have to do is go online and go to walk.ritacosbyonline.com, walk.ritacosbyonline.com, and donate to my team. 
I am trying to raise as much money as possible on for the Red Apple Audio Network as we help to make sure that all the proceeds go to the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. It is such an incredible, incredible foundation. You guys see the commercials all over the place, and you see the incredible heroes and also Gold Star families that have just been just wrapped, uh, you know, and supported and loved by this incredible foundation. So do what you can. Go to walk.ritacosbyonline.com and help the Tunnels to Towers Foundation and donate. Do whatever you can today. Every little bit helps and goes to help this incredible organization, the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. Walk.ritacosbyonline.com. And we are talking, of course, about the border situation. And this, to me, was one of the shocking comments that I think I've heard in a long time. We've got Kamala Harris, who, of course, has barely been to the border. We have Joe Biden, who's never been to the border. There's some report he may have driven through on a campaign event decades ago. Uh, Maybe had to go to the bathroom or somewhere, like, you know, at a gas station nearby. But there's no evidence that he's really been there, you know, in any capacity, right? And then you've got Kamala Harris, who did the breeze through in McAllen not that long ago. And she's supposed to be the border czar. And yet now that a number of these governors, especially Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis of Texas and Florida, respectively, are shipping a number of migrants to liberal cities that say, we're sanctuary cities, we'll take them in. And then when they send them, oh, no, 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 they go crazy. So now a number of liberals and liberal groups are really going crazy and basically saying that there should be kidnapping or human trafficking or crimes against humanity is the new one that I heard today, that they want to somehow get, like, the worst crimes ever. Like, they're, like, you know, like, worse than, uh, you know, a a war criminal, you know, Uh, to go after Governor DeSantis and also Governor Abbott. And Kamala Harris had the cojones to say this in an interview with Vice News. I could not believe she said this, because I've said this before. This open border to me is a huge issue. And I think the most important thing a U.S. president can do and his administration is to protect the sovereignty of our borders and protect our country. And you look at other countries, how clear they are on their borders and the markations of their borders and protecting the homeland. That is pivotal. And I really feel it is a dereliction that he has had this border so wide open and continues to say the border's secure. Kamala Harris last week said, oh, yeah, the border's secure. The White House press secretary said, oh, yeah, the border's secure. And not only is that not clearly a lie, listen to what Kamala Harris said here. She went after DeSantis and Governor Abbott, and I I couldn't believe that she tried to turn the tables on them. Take a listen. Yesterday, there was a bus of migrants that was dropped off in front of your home. Also, Governor DeSantis flew migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. Can you understand the political point that DeSantis and Abbott are trying to make here? They're playing games. These are political stunts with real human beings who are fleeing harm. I mean, do you know what's happening in Venezuela right now? There were children, people being put on a bus or a plane um, who don't know where they're going or where they were being sent. Human beings, real people who have fled harm, who came to the United States of America seeking refuge, asylum. I think it is um, 
the height of irresponsibility, much less just, um, frankly, a dereliction of duty when you are an elected leader to play those kinds of games with human life and human beings. If you think there is a problem, be part of the solution. That is shocking that she's saying that they may be basically committing dereliction of duty because they are sending people to other communities because they're being so overrun that El Paso is now basically a third world country, that they're like sleeping under bridges, that they cannot handle the influx. But Martha's Vineyard can't take 50. That to me is such the utter double standard. And here is Charlie Crist, a former congressman, former governor, going after now his challenger because he is competing now. He's trying to oust Governor DeSantis in the gubernatorial race there in Florida and listen to the swipe that he took against DeSantis. State funds are being appropriated to move migrants from Texas to Massachusetts. Uh, None of them are in Florida. Uh, You know, it's inhumane. Let's not forget that. Uh, I mean, you're just, you know, luring people in with lies, telling them they're going to be accommodated when they get to Boston. They end up in Martha's Vineyard. They have no idea where they're going. They don't know where they are when they get out of the plane. Um, And, you know, to use people like this in this inhumane fashion, you know, between Abbott and DeSantis, it's like a race to the bottom of a lack of decency. And, And I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, and probably illegal. And, and that's why we've asked for the Department of Justice to investigate. That's why they're investigating not Biden's open border policy, not the fact that we've had 66 people on the known terrorist watch list and probably many more that we don't know about that have come through because there are literally hundreds of thousands of gotaways. Not that they're going after Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott because they sent you know, dozens or in some cases now thousands um, to a number of communities, including 50, 5 to Martha's Vineyard. And now suddenly the Martha's Vineyard community is going crazy. And yet it's OK if Texas or Arizona or Florida gets overrun by literally hundreds upon hundreds of thousands. That's no problem. And they're just supposed to just take it and not say a word. Uh, But yet it can't go to any other community. It is outrageous. So take a listen to Gavin Newsom, who, by a new report tonight, sounds like he is running for president if Joe Biden is not. This is him taking a swipe at DeSantis. Those migrants are used as pawns to humiliate and dehumanize. What uh, Ron DeSantis is doing is a disgrace. It's almost monstrous. And I say that not lightly. I say that quite thoughtfully. He's got kids. I have kids. You saw those young girls with backpacks, no older than his children, my children, being used as political pawns. Being used as political pawns, not saying that they're crossing illegally, not saying the problem that's happening in Texas or Florida or other states. Oh, no, no, no. And what is he doing? He's sitting there in Sacramento with all these like homeless encampments, you know, and he's criticizing, you know, DeSantis and Abbott. Boy. Is that not insane? And this is Alan Dershowitz, who, by the way, is our resident of Martha's Vineyard. This is what he had to say about Newsom, Gavin Newsom's claims. The absurdity of the governor of California wanting to bring kidnap charges, people being kidnapped to Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard, I've been there 53 years. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. 
As soon as the people came there, we all opened our arms. I offered to pay for all of their food and all of their medical care because, you know, our grandparents, our great-grandparents were all immigrants. Martha's Vineyard people opened up their arms. There's no kidnapping here. It reminds me of my former colleague, Larry Tribe, wanting to weaponize criminal justice by saying that that Garland ought to prosecute Donald Trump for the attempted murder of Vice President Pence. These absurd radicals who want to use the criminal justice system to even scores and make political points are endangering our justice system. And I hope that every liberal, every conservative, every Republican, every Democrat will rebuke the governor for wanting to use the criminal justice system so inappropriately. Wow. Good for him. And I agree. It is so outrageous. By the way, you know, I always love reading your comments also from social media, as well as your calls, everybody. And Sal sent me a tweet. And you can also follow me, everybody, at Rita Cosby. Uh, but And I love reading your comments from there, too. But here is Sal. He says, I find it disturbingly interesting that the Biden administration believes that the border is secure. Perhaps they also believe that the Broadway show's Phantom of the Opera and The Lion King are documentaries. <laughs> That's a good line, Sal. I love that. In other words, they are in la-la land. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to BJ. Line three. BJ, your thoughts. Well, Rita, um, you know, I just want to say one thing. I, I called up about the two million illegal aliens that uh, Biden has broken the border with. And I wanted to talk about that. But, By the you way, know, that's just this year, BJ. That's just this yep. year. Isn't that nice? Yep, yep that's two million or the hundred and ten thousand uh, fentanyl deaths we've had because the fentanyl comes from China and it gets bust through uh, at the border. But be that as it may, I just want to say one thing: when you minimize the Holocaust and compare Trump supporters to Nazis, that is the that is beyond low. I'll tell you about. Uh, By the way, and BJ, and BJ, I agree with you. I just want to, for people who are just yeah, listening now, yeah, Stan called in, Stan, you know, crazy Stan called in, and Stan was, you know, talking about, oh, they were doing this symbol at a Trump rally, and you heard I rebuked him because I think it is so low when people do that. I, it I, is low. I agree with you. I just want to make people think I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not by any means disagreeing with you, BJ. Go ahead. There was a war criminal in uh, in Queens. His name was Jacob Palige. He, he was on the radar for many decades, even going back to the uh, Reagan administration. It took Donald Trump to finally kick him out. He was Obama was president. Bush was president. Reagan was president. Bush, the elder, was president. And it was Donald Trump who forced that man out of this country. He was uh, uh, you can read all about him. Dove Hyken came to this uh, to, to Queens to protest him because the guy had been living very comfortably in, in this in, in Queens for years. OK, and uh, it, it's a matter of record. I'm not saying anything out of school or anything. And uh, I hope hopefully. No, no, no. But what's your point? Me. What's your point? BJ? My, my point is this. Uh, uh, when you minimize the Holocaust and you compare it to to, to uh, Trump supporters, this is what Biden did two weeks ago. He went oh, to yeah. Philadelphia. This is exactly this is all they're capable of because of their horrible, horrible performance record as president and this administration. They got nothing to show for 18 months of uh, failure in Afghanistan, a failure uh, at the southern border, a failure in our cities. 
uh, increased crime, increased inflation, increased energy uh, uh, costs. All of the major cities are depopulating. And the the notion that we're punishing illegals by sending them to Martha's Vineyard, to sending them to uh, the Lullaby of Broadway Hotel and sending them to all these wonderful places, which they'd wind up anyway because that's where the work is, 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 is lunacy. Is complete lunacy. It is, and so, the fact and the fact that they're actually with a straight face saying they're going to go after these Republican governors. How about uh, you know the line I just played? I couldn't believe what I was just playing there. B.J. Uh, Kamala Harris saying it's quote a dereliction of duty, and I was thinking, oh good, she's finally going to admit that she hasn't been doing anything on the border. No, she's not talking about herself or Biden. She's talking about Abbott and DeSantis. For shipping the migrants. It, the hypocrisy, like you just said, is so unbelievable, as opposed to conceding their own shortfallings. They are She's using lost. this. They're using this smear. And I, I agree with you. Anytime somebody pulls out the Holocaust or the racism, I hate it um, because I just think they're just such obviously horrible things to talk about. And to me, uh, there, there's no comparison, uh, especially as we're talking about the Holocaust um, as you guys all know, my father grew up right outside the Warsaw Ghetto. Yes. So when I hear people use that and use it so loosely or use that, call somebody a Hitler or say, it's, it is shameful, it's disgusting. And, and I think it's horrible for obviously all those who went through that, just that unimaginable period in history. It's, uh, and nothing, you know, can be compared to that just horrible, horrible moment. Uh, BJ, thank you very, very much. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Pete, uh, line seven. Pete, your thoughts. Good evening, Rita. I just want to say to Stan and all the negative people, when Donald Trump went to the Army-Navy game, he was applauded for 45 minutes by the soldiers who are fighting for our rights and our country to give us the freedoms to speak as we do. And I commend you on taking his call and treating him because he has a right to speak, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. Most of the Americans, 75 million Americans, are behind Donald Trump, and I'm hoping that uh, uh, when this election come up, first in 2022 and then 2024, that the House is overtaken, and some of these things that are destroying us, by, like the price of gas, price of gas went down because that's the spring oil, the summer oil, they call it. It's dinner oil, uh, gas. It's no good for your car. And you got to keep putting dry gas in if you want your car to run right. John Casmatidis, he mentioned it about six months ago. Yes, and absolutely. And then, yeah, thousand so percent. Yep. And and, and John and John was spot on. I agree with you um, because I heard when he was talking about that, and John also talked about just what a dire situation um, you know we're in, and that we have put other countries in. You know, he's he's also um, one of the things that I think is great. Pete, um, where John made it very clear there's a way to kind of change this. Open the spigots, you know? I mean, open the spigots. And it scares me, Pete, as we're heading into a very cold winter, uh, potentially, especially over for Europe. And those folks are much more reliant on Russian oil than we were. And they're going to be in a very, very tough situation. We haven't given them a replacement. So, you know, big, big issues. Um, and and that's a that all goes back to Biden's policies, which John Katzmatidis said so eloquently. Pete, thanks so much. When we come back, we're going to continue with your calls. We're going to talk about this and also a little bit about Queen Elizabeth. I didn't get a lot of sleep. I stayed up watching it because I thought this is a moment for history. Do you agree? The Rita Cosby Show. 
And before we go tonight, and I'll continue with your calls, I just want to give a shout out um, to Queen Elizabeth II. What an extraordinary tribute to her life that's been taking place. Uh, The world has been glued um, a week and a half of mourning. And I was watching all the ceremonies. I was going to like watch a little bit and then wake up a little later because it was the wee hours of the morning here. And then I ended up staying up the whole time. And just watching it and watching all the world leaders come out and just pay tribute to this extraordinary woman and her extraordinary life. And here is Christy Young of BBC talking about the Queen because her funeral, of course, was this morning. It's often felt in recent days that a veil of sorrow has covered the nation, but the Queen's funeral has surely exemplified her reign. She united us in one final act of togetherness, unifying the United Kingdom and indeed the world beyond, in respect, ceremony, and significance. And here she talks about the Queen's extraordinary legacy. If, as she once said, grief is the price we pay for love, then the weight of our collective sorrow is testament to the depth of affection in which she is held. She made history. She was history. Queen Elizabeth II is gone, but she will surely never be forgotten. Really beautiful to see. And boy, it was just a breathtaking tribute to really a remarkable life of service, starting with her broadcast when she was, I think, 21 years old, where she famously said she would dedicate her life, however long or short, to service and truly did that in so many remarkable ways, just seeing she was tireless and clearly loved her country and the countries that were underneath her reign. It was really extraordinary. And I thought uh, the words from the Archbishop of Canterbury really were just the most beautiful and most fitting that he said during the funeral service. Take a listen. Her late majesty's broadcast during COVID lockdown ended with, we will meet again. Words of hope from a song of Vera Lynn. All who follow the Queen's example and inspiration of trust and faith in God can with her say, we will meet again. Very, very beautiful. And what a remarkable life that I think we could all look up to and all just uh, honor and remember, and remember especially her always working literally two days before she died, meeting with the new Prime Minister Liz Truss, who was speaking today during the service as well. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Pete in New Hampshire on Line 7. Pete, your thoughts? Yeah. Hi, Rita. Love your show. Love you. Thank you. And I love you, my friend. I know you're a veteran, so you know I adore you, Pete. Rita, I'm just going to give you three quick ones, and, and then I'll let you go and kick back and listen to the rest of your show. Uh, number one, if the people, the the uh, the uh, uh, moon bats think that uh, Donald Trump's got uh, 75 million people behind him, they better guess again. There's going to be a lot more of them. There's a lot of people that have changed parties, Rita. Wow. You know, that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point because there are a lot of people who are looking at the economy and they're frustrated. They're seeing crime. They're seeing the border. And they're saying, you know what? Maybe those mean tweets weren't so bad after all. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.